So we continue our series today titled Gifts in the Waiting. We've looked at stories surrounding Jesus' birth through this series. Jesus was a gift given to us, to all humankind. Jesus is God entering into our midst, entering into our brokenness, only to take us out of our brokenness fully on the cross. God's people waited for this gift for a long time. As soon as sin entered into this world through Adam and Eve, up until Jesus died for our sins on the cross, they were waiting for a savior. They were waiting for this gift. And even before Jesus was born into this world, they were waiting. God was silent for about 400 years in between the Old Testament and New Testament. And then finally, a light dawned in the midst of great darkness. The story, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the story we are reading today is from Luke 2, verses 22 through 40. And at this point, Jesus is about 40 days old. He is still a little infant. And, and Jesus was the son of God who was literally being kept alive by two sinful, everyday, average people, Joseph and Mary. Two poor people from the middle of nowhere, from a city called Nazareth. 40 days. That's really quickly after Jesus was born. And Jesus wasn't necessarily the most normal birth. Jesus, he was a miracle baby. I'm sure Mary at this point in time in Luke 2 was wondering how in the world am I holding a baby since she was a virgin? I'm sure Joseph and Mary are also wondering how in the world do we parent this little child who is the son of God who holds all of the power in the, in, in the universe in this tiny little body. They were uncertain on how, how to be his parents. They were probably thinking things like, when Jesus is able to fully talk, fully comprehend what's going on around him, do we discipline him? Do we discipline the Son of God or do we get disciplined by him? How does that even work? Parenting Jesus did not come with a manual. There were no instructions on how to parent Jesus, the Son of God. But in their uncertainty, they stayed faithful to the rhythms of life that God laid out for them, which is found in the Law of Moses. They kept moving forward in what they had been trained to do as God's faithful people. They made their way to the temple to consecrate their firstborn male child and for Mary to be purified in the temple after giving birth. Forty days after Jesus was born, they made their way from the little town of Bethlehem to the Lord's city, Jerusalem, for Jesus' first public appearance in a big city. With that, let's hear the word of the Lord. All right, today's scripture comes from Luke 2, verses 22 through 40. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul also. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee in their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Al. When the time had come for the purification rites, which is written in the law of Moses, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus made their way to Jerusalem. This little miracle family of three went on a journey for the first time after Jesus was born. And in this passage, we read about faithful people like Simeon and Anna who prophesied the truth about who Jesus was to all who were listening. And we'll take a look at what they said and how they said it and what exactly their words meant. But first, we have to look at why Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were making their way towards Jerusalem and where they had been just prior to that. So there's a, there's a picture on the screen. I want us to focus on three different cities. Hopefully you can read them. Um, at the top of the screen, there's a city called Nazareth. And towards the bottom of the screen, there's two cities, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So this is a map of Israel at the time that, that Jesus was alive. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which is towards the top of the screen, which is where his family is from. Yet Jesus was not born in Nazareth. Jesus was born about 90 miles south in a little town called Bethlehem, which is where his earthly father, Joseph, grew up. That was Joseph's hometown. At the beginning of Luke 2, right before our passage, we know that there was a census taken by Caesar Augustus, who was the leader of the Roman Empire at the time. And a census was basically a way uh, as to how the Romans figure out how many people were in their control. How many, what are the numbers that, that um, con- are considered to be of the people within the whole Roman Empire? So Caesar Augustus declared a census, which brought everyone back to their hometown, which is why Joseph... Mary and Jesus, who was yet to be born, made their way to Bethlehem. If you're ever wondering if God is in control, I want you to read Luke 2, verse 1. 
Caesar Augustus was the most powerful person in the world at this time, the leader of the whole Roman Empire. And he made a decision that brought Jesus to the town of Bethlehem, which fulfilled an ancient prophecy found in Micah 5.2. And here's what Micah 5.2 says. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. God used Caesar Augustus, the most powerful person in the world, to fulfill an ancient prophecy to have the Savior born in a little town called Bethlehem. So Joseph and Mary made their long trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it was there that Mary gave birth to Jesus in a lower room of some family's house where animals slept. And most likely they stayed in this little town of Bethlehem for 40 days until Mary and Joseph and Jesus made their way to Jerusalem. So what led Joseph and Mary to Jerusalem was the rhythm and structure that God placed within the lives of Jewish people. In the law of Moses, 40 days after giving birth, the mother is to go to the temple to be purified. There was a sacrifice to be made by priests and the mother was considered to be cleansed after this sacrifice was made. And this is all laid out for us in Leviticus 12 if you want to look into that further. Prior to going to the temple for purification, Mary is considered to be unclean. She's not welcome in her worshiping context. She's not even able to be touched. Anybody who touches somebody who's unclean is also considered to be unclean. It was a big deal which is why Joseph and Mary made their way to the temple for her to be considered clean by the priests. And also since Jesus was their firstborn son, he was to be consecrated, set apart to the Lord, which was another part of God's law. In Exodus 12, God tells his people to consecrate every firstborn male and he explains why. And here's what it says in Exodus 12, starting in verse 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So Joseph and Mary were in Jerusalem in order for Mary to be purified and for Jesus to be consecrated as their firstborn son. Consecrating firstborn sons was a reminder to all Jewish families, all Jewish people, that God passed over the firstborn sons of Israel prior to redeeming them from the hands of the Egyptians. So God created a map. God created a framework as to how he desires for his people to live. And for Jewish people, this is found in the law of Moses, found in the Old Testament. We, 
as people who are after Jesus was born into this world have the life of Jesus to follow as our framework, as our map that God has given us. With all of the confusion in their minds, in Joseph and Mary's minds, revolving around the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was in their family, they kept moving forward with the way of life that God had laid out for them. With all of the worry after with, with all the worry about how they would be treated, knowing that Mary conceived out of wedlock, they stayed faithful to God's way of life over their own ways. And out of Joseph and Mary's faithfulness, they made that six-mile hike from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and God made himself known in their obedience. And he made himself known to all the people who were ready to listen. This couple had all of the reasons to not show up to the temple 40 days after Jesus was born. They were probably fearful that Mary could be stoned to death, which is written in the book of Moses for all women who conceive out of wedlock. They were emotionally hurt after their own family wouldn't even let them into their house, which is why Jesus was born with animals around. Joseph's family knew that that Mary and Joseph were coming into town, yet they didn't welcome them into their house. So Jesus was born in a manger. That's the story of Jesus. They were also anxious about how they would be received in Jerusalem. They were literally carrying the Son of God. What are people going to say about this? Yet with all this going on in their lives, they took Jesus to Jerusalem. They submitted to God's ways over their ways. And God showed up. And he showed up literally in the form of Jesus, but he also showed up through how other people spoke about him. Simeon and Anna were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and spoke God's truth about Jesus in front of all those who were listening. <clears throat> so let me take a step back for a moment. I want us to think about all of our own lives. I want to ask you about how you are being obedient to God's rhythms, God's framework that he's laid out for us in the life of Jesus. At this moment, do you find yourself living life according to what you desire at each, at each moment? Or are you submitting to God's ways, God's path in front of us? And here's a few examples of what God's path looks like for us as God's people. How about a weekly Sabbath? In, in scripture, God clearly commands his people to have, to have one day set apart one day where they can stop what they're doing, stop working, be reminded of who they are, and have God breathe life back into them. How is your weekly Sabbath going? What does your giving look like? Financial giving, your time, are you spending time with others that, that need your presence, that need a friend, that need to be shown love? Are you reading scripture? If we claim to want to follow Jesus in our lives, we have to know how Jesus lived. And God clearly makes that known for us through scripture. And are you spending time in solitude as well? How many times in scripture does Jesus go up to the mountainside to pray? And, and sometimes Jesus is there all night. And most likely when Jesus was there all night, he's not telling God what he needs, what, what he feels like he wants in this life. He's just spending time listening to what God has to say to him in solitude. Another example as to how we can 
be obedient to God's ways as God's people is the call to go and make disciples. When it comes down to it, are there, are there people around you in your life who are choosing to follow Jesus maybe for the first time? Are you seeing new life? Are you seeing new faith among people around you? That is the call that God gives us to go and make disciples. So if you find yourself wondering where God is, why he's not showing up in your life, what does your life look like? Are you submitting to God's ways over your ways? For Joseph and Mary, God clearly laid out the law of Moses for them to obey. For us, God clearly lays out the life of Jesus. As Jesus' disciples, we are called to follow in his footsteps, to be like Christ. And when we submit to God's ways, God shows up. In Mary and Joseph's case, two people in the temple showed up. Two people that they probably had never met before and they spoke about their child, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit to all those who were listening. And the main point of their prophetic statements was this. Redemption and salvation has come to humankind in the form of Jesus Christ. The first person to speak about Jesus was a man named Simeon. We don't know a whole lot about who Simeon was, but we do know that Simeon was righteous and devout. He was a faithful believer in God. And he was probably older since the Lord revealed to him that he would not die before seeing the Messiah in person. And most importantly about Simeon is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what led him into the temple that day, which is what allowed for him to speak the very truth about who Jesus was to all those who were listening. Simeon says these words starting in verse 29. He starts with great news. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then he continues with great news, but this news looks a little bit different, especially for Mary and Joseph. He shares something along the lines of, not everyone will receive their son Jesus with gladness. And here's what he says, starting in verse 34, and he speaks these words directly to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the, ha- the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Up until this point, when anybody had spoken to Mary and Joseph about Jesus, think about the angel Gabriel when he was talking to Mary about conceiving through the Holy Spirit, speaking truth about who Jesus was. Up until this point, this had all been great news. Mary had heard that her son was to be named Jesus, which means the one who saves. Jesus is our savior. She heard news like he would reign on the throne of David forever and he would be a light in the midst of darkness. Simeon was also the first one in the book of Luke to say that Jesus would reign on the throne of David and bring salvation to all, but it would also come at a great cost. Mary was told that her son would be spoken against and that a sword will pierce her own soul. 
Now the fullness of who Jesus was and what would happen to him was revealed to Mary. Think about how Mary would have responded to this. A parent hearing that her child would be spoken against. And that something would happen to her child that would pierce her soul. And what caused her soul to be pierced was witnessing with her own eyes the brutal and shameful death of her son on the cross. No parent ever wants to see their child in pain. The Bible gives us seven different sayings that Jesus says while on the cross. And in John 19, he speaks directly to his mother Mary and he speaks directly to John the disciple. And here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, this was the disciple John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took Mother Mary into his home. So Jesus is essentially saying, Mom, my, my time is over. John, watch over my mom as if she were your, your own mother. For Mary, that was a crushing and defeating moment. And this is what Simeon was referencing while he's holding little baby Jesus in the temple. That salvation has come to humankind, which is a beautiful thing in the form of Jesus, but it also comes at a great cost. Simeon's words encourage us to look at the full story of Jesus' life. Yes, Jesus was born and he was a cute little baby at a time. And he still reigns on the throne of God today, just as the angel Gabriel was telling Mother Mary before Jesus was born. Jesus was and he is a great teacher and he has a deep love and compassion for all people. And he also invites us into a relationship, into eternity in paradise with him. And he also had a great cost to being a light in the midst of darkness. And he knew of this great cost even before entering into our world. As Simeon said, Jesus was spoken against by many people, including the religious elite. Jesus was left by most of his disciples and the people he loved along the way only to be brutally killed in a shameful way on the cross. The full story of Jesus includes his death on the cross, which directly brings you and I into this story. And if you have never fully embraced Jesus' whole life, I encourage you to do that today. I encourage you to read through John 19 this afternoon, this week, in order to fully accept the gift of grace that is Jesus Christ, we have to know what he went through. We have to know the great cost of his life which ended up piercing his mother's soul. A significant statement that Simeon says also ties the prophet Anna into this conversation. Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. God did not grant his people salvation just by snapping his finger. 
and saying that we're good. God could have chosen to give us salvation in any way. That is his decision. But yet he chose the most personal, vulnerable, and costly way to give his people salvation. He sent his son into this world, a physical human being that walked just like, just like us today, that had a body. Jesus was, was somebody that others could see and talk to just like us. And, and Jesus being born into this world shows us that salvation is not something that we have to earn. <clears throat> salvation is given to us by grace in the form of Jesus. <clears throat> sometimes, excuse me, <clears throat> sometimes I struggle with the fact that I have not seen salvation like Simeon in this story. <clears throat> I've not personally witnessed Jesus walking around like so many people have had done at the time that Jesus walked this earth. I fall into the thinking that my faith would be greater simply if I just see Jesus. If I could give him a hug, if I could ask him some questions. If only I could see Jesus, then I would be an even better disciple. And then <clears throat> during these moments, God makes himself present to me. In these moments, I'm reminded that there are plenty of people in scripture who saw Jesus, who heard his teachings, who saw the miracles, but yet they still didn't believe. They didn't have faith because of those things. Seeing Jesus <clears throat> does not necessarily mean faith in Jesus. Simeon said that he saw Jesus and we can rely on his word because it's in the book of truth. It's in the Bible. It'll be in the Bible forever. We can rely on Simeon's word and Anna's word as well. But God also, he doesn't just leave us in the dust. People that have not seen salvation like Simeon and Anna. There's evidence all around. We may not have seen Jesus in the flesh, but yet that day will come for all believers, but there's evidence of salvation everywhere all around us. If, you're, <clears throat> if you are a believer, I want you to look at your own life. How has God changed you? Scripture tells us that we are new creations through faith in Jesus, that every day our sins are washed away. That means that our lives are different because of Jesus, different than they were before knowing Jesus. So how has God changed you? That is evidence of salvation. How are, <clears throat> excuse me, how are you better right now than you were before you knew Jesus? Another, <clears throat> excuse me, another example of, of salvation around us is this weekly service. We don't come here because we have to. We come here because we believe that Jesus has been born into this world. We are grateful that Jesus has given us salvation through faith, that we don't have to earn our salvation. Us gathered here this morning is evidence of salvation. Simeon was also not the only one to make a powerful prophetic statement about Jesus. Towards the end of this passage, there's a woman named Anna who comes into the story. Not only did one devout believer who had the Holy Spirit with them then speak about Jesus, but two believers. In this day and age, in the first century Israel, 
at this point in time, one testimony had, had some weight to it, but as soon as another testimony entered into the picture, the level of truth went up dramatically. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. I'm going to pause for a moment. Water is good. So Anna's testimony was the, the second testimony to bring weight to what Simeon had just, just said earlier. In Deuteronomy 19, in God's law, if someone makes an accusation towards another person, it is only validated when there is another testimony that, that brings weight to the original accusation. And Jewish people in the, knew that in the Old Testament, they knew this because they knew the Old Testament like the back of their hand. So when Anna came in to validate what Simeon said, Simeon's claim that Jesus was salvation for all humankind, they could recognize that she was the second witness to claim that Jesus was the Messiah. Anna's testimony about Jesus was God's stamp of approval that what was said was true. And did you also notice that Anna's father's name was mentioned in the text? Anna's father's name was Penuel. In this culture in first century Jerusalem with, within the Jewish people, names meant a whole lot. Names were a part of who you are. They weren't just identifiers as to different people, but yet names were, were identities that people lived into. Penuel means face of God. And in a culture where the meaning of names was extremely significant, people would have known that this was Anna's father's name. Simeon had just prophesied that his eyes have seen salvation. His eyes have seen the face of Jesus. And then Anna, the daughter of a man named Face of God, validates Simeon's statement, gives thanks to God, and preaches to all of those who are looking forward to the redemption of Israel. In this small story, we recognize that God is involved in the most intricate details and uses things that are familiar to people to amplify the message of the gospel. For example, God uses the law of Moses to bring Jesus to the temple. The law of Moses was known by essentially every Jewish person that was living during this time. The temple was an extremely popular place for Jewish people to gather. God uses Anna's father's name, Penuel, to say even louder to all those that were listening that Jesus Christ has come into this world and he is salvation for all humankind. We also have evidence of God's salvation all around us. God makes all people new who believe in him. So let your whole life be evidence that God has changed you. Be evidence of God's salvation. And if you're here today and you wonder where God is, you wonder why isn't he showing up, look at the life of Mary and Joseph. In their uncertainty, they stayed faithful to God's way of life. They went to the temple to consecrate Jesus, to purify Mary, and God showed up. And God clearly says through scripture, that if you want something, you can ask for it. So if you feel like God isn't present, ask for his presence and he will show up. 
How can you be faithful to God with the rhythms and patterns in your life? Friends, God loves all and he shows that fully in Jesus. Redemption from sin is offered to all who put their faith in him. And that offer is on the table at this very moment. Lean into the love of God and be the evidence of salvation that this world needs. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in scripture, for giving us the Holy Spirit to give us more insight as to who you are, as to how we should live. Help us be like Mary and Joseph and submit to your ways. And we do ask that as we do that, you can make yourself known to us. Help us be your disciples this day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.